So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to open them, Exodus chapter 20 would be a good place to be. And if you have a smartphone and you happen to have the YouVersion Bible app on it, you could click the menu and look for an event near you and you would find uh, the scripture and the notes uh, to go along with the message there as well. I am going to have all the scripture on the screen uh, this morning because we're going to be in a number of different places today as we discuss uh, what's before us. <clears throat> Through the years, I've taken this Sunday, the last Sunday in October, to just spend a little bit, bit of time talking about spiritism, talking about the occult world. And when I do this, I warn you to stay away from things like seances, witchcraft, and uh, psychics. Um, and I use passages like the one in Leviticus. For example, Leviticus 19, in verse 31, it says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So according to God, that would be a bad thing to do, spiritism. Or a passage like the story of Manasseh, where it says of this king, it says he sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. And so you can see that when God records the evil Manasseh did, he ranks divination and witchcraft, omens, and mediums right in the same sentence as he does child sacrifice. You can find in Isaiah, there's a passage there that talks about how, why this bothers God, one of the reasons it bothers God. And that's where he says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? It's kind of downright insulting to consult someone other than God in such matters. Today, I kind of want to help you understand why on a deeper level. I want us to dig down much deeper than we have in the past. And uh, I'm borrowing some of the ideas in this message from Matt Chandler. That's okay, because Matt Chandler says, I'm borrowing the ideas in this message from Dick Kaufman. And if you look up Dick Kaufman, you see he borrowed them from Dick Keyes. And if you read Tim Keller, you see he borrowed them from all of those guys. So uh, it's kind of universal, the material that I'm going to be sharing here. I feel like Chandler says it well when he says, I'm not really this smart, I just know how to read. And uh, so some of the things will be from uh, those men. I want to begin, though, just by talking to you about not the occult, but about idolatry and how the Bible views it. I mean, right out of the gate in Exodus chapter 20, in the Ten Commandments, the very first ones begin with these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall not have any other God before me. And then it goes on to talk about carving graven images, worshiping them, and you get right away that God does not want um, us to have idols. To worship anything or anyone apart from him is right up at the first of the Ten Commandments. And when you understand idolatry, if you really think about it, a lot of the prohibitions regarding other things in the Bible kind of make sense. But what is idolatry? Is it just having a little shrine in your house like some cultures have with a little statue of your God and praying to it and offering things to it? Yeah, it is. But it's more than that. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller defines idolatry this way. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. More simply put, an idol is anything you put in place where God alone belongs. And we make idols out of many things. Um, Part of the problem with addiction in our culture 
is that maybe we've idolized some substances that made us feel good, and, and there it is. Or sometimes things that are taboo can be idolized. I really like doing this because it's a bad thing to do, and so we idolize bad things. We idolize good things as well. Family can become an idol. Your job could be your idol. Even your church could be something that you idolize. And when we see those kind of idols, sometimes we think, ah, there's an idol. But I want to suggest to you we're really only looking at the surface issue when we see those kind of idols because there's something deeper, something underneath all of that. And that something is kind of like dandelions. If you have dandelions in your yard and you go along, you just snip off the tops of those flowers, you know that's not going to solve your problem, right? That beneath there, there's something deeply rooted. And those everyday idols that we see, yeah, we can snip at those and we can talk about those and we can try to get rid of those. But I want to suggest to you there is something underneath those idols that really needs to be addressed. And that something is another idol that's just more deeply rooted than the everyday idol. I kind of want to talk to you today about deeply rooted causes of idolatry. And these causes are themselves idols. And the first of those is comfort. Do you like to be comfortable? Look at that chair you're in. It's not bad, is it? Beats that old pew, that old pew, that filling in the the seat of that had turned to sand, I think, right? All of us want to be comfortable. And and we know those uh, times that our comfort becomes an idol, we can kind of see the morning signs on that. For example, when you overreact to an interruption, then maybe your comfort level has become a bit of an idol. What are you bothering me for? I'm just trying to unwind a little bit here. I don't have time to do that. This unwinding, this comfort is an idol of mine. Or when you covet an overabundance of me time, I just can't get enough time to do this thing that I want to do, you're probably seeking that deeply rooted comfort idol. Or when you're engaging in receiving a lot more than you're giving, that might be a telltale sign that the deeply rooted comfort idol is at at hand. Or whenever your social media is covered with pictures like this, Uh, You know, there's the ocean, and there's my toes, and my feet are up, and I got a lot of comfort going here. Nanny, nanny, poo-poo, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's not wrong to want comfort, and there's nothing wrong. If you have those pictures on your Facebook, that's great. If they're the only thing on your Facebook, uh, I kind of wonder then, right? But here is what's wrong. When comfort becomes the focal point of my longing, and I just want to get away and get comfortable, and then I'll be happy. Then maybe I'm touching that deeply rooted comfort idol. The Bible kind of warns about overemphasis of comfort. It speaks of things like a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Comfort. And idolizing comfort might be the root cause of all other idolatry. Or here's another cause of idolatry, the demand for approval. We all want to be approved of by people, right? I do. There are always those people who say, no way, I don't care what other people think of me. Do you hear that? It's really important to me that you know that I don't care what other people think of me. I want you to know this about me, that I don't care what you think of me. Really? (laughs) Do you see the irony there? It's really important to me that you think that I don't care what you think of me. That's just a little backward right there, right? We, we have this demand for approval. All of us want people to think of us well. And that desire isn't wrong at the outset. But when that desire becomes our ultimate desire, then it can be a deeply rooted cause of idolatry. 
Luke speaks of this. Jesus is speaking, actually. He says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated false prophets. So Jesus knows that when you make the approval of others the priority of your life, that you can begin to compromise your standards. That's not where you want to go. Here's a third deeply rooted cause of idolatry, and that's the hunger for power. The hunger for power. This hunger is kind of universal. I discovered it when I was about 10 years old, and I saw the Plymouth Roadrunner with the 440 six barrel. Yeah, that baby would go, you know? And it had a little Roadrunner on him, and because I was 10, I loved the Roadrunner. That was really a hunger for power, even as a 10-year-old boy. I didn't want the Ford Pinto. (laughs) I wanted the gas guzzler that would really go because I wanted that power. By the way, just as an aside, there's two more days in Pastor Appreciation Month. I'll just leave that picture right there. Power can be a deeply rooted idol. He has a 380. I have a 9mm. I have a 45. Power. People who worship at the altar of power are intensely competitive. They demand success. They will win at all costs. Chandler says, you would run up your grandma's back to avoid losing, right? Yeah, because it's power. It's what Simon the magician wanted in Acts chapter 18 when he saw that the Holy Spirit was given by the laying on of hands by the apostles. He offered them money and he said, give me this ability so that everyone that I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit and it ended very poorly for him. Very poorly, because when you make power that focal point, desiring power isn't a bad thing, but when it becomes what you're all about, then it becomes a deeply rooted idol. Here's the fourth one, requiring control. We all want control, right? Have you ever heard of helicopter parents? That is a matter of control. Do you know people who say this frequently? I have trust issues. That is a matter of control. How about that woman that made her husband get rid of his motorcycle when they got married? That is a matter of control. People who require control, they hold advanced degrees, not just a master's degree, but a PhD in worry. And they hate passages of scripture like when James says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this city and we're going to spend a year there and we're going to carry on business and we're going to make money, why James says you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Ah, I don't like that. That's a really hard pill to swallow if I am worshiping at the deep idol of control. When God doesn't cooperate with someone who has control issues, then that someone is tempted to turn somewhere else to another power that might give them what they want. And idolatry happens. Now I'm going to put a sentence on the screen. I'm going to say it two times because this is the pivotal point in today's sermon. This is where you stop looking at, okay, those are the causes to really looking at how it affects human life. Here's the sentence. The demand for control is the primary idol for those who are drawn into spiritism and the occult world. Let me say it again. The demand for control is the primary idol for those who are drawn into spiritism and the occult world. You see, occult practices are most often linked to this deep idol of control. Let me give you a couple examples. The desire to control nature. 
When I was a kid, I grew up on a farm. And when I was living on that farm, as a young man, I decided I wanted to make some money. So I planted some wheat and it didn't rain. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that it would rain. And God said, no. On the other hand, yesterday we were handing out stuff to 700 kids at a, at a bridge building thing at the trunk or treat. And I prayed that it wouldn't rain. You know what God said? No. And it rained like crazy. So yeah, we all want to control nature. But when God says no, some people say, yeah, okay, I'm disappointed, but I guess I can live with that. And other people, they turn to someone else and they may not say it out loud, but the upshot of their thinking is this, if God isn't gonna help me, I'm gonna find somewhere I can get that help. And that help might be in the occult world. That might be where they look. You see this in everything from rain dances to casting spells to change nature because we insist on having control and we're swimming toward idolatry when we do that. Let me give you another example. A desire to remove the curtain between the living and the dead. We all want that, right? (laughs) I mean, who here doesn't have someone that they lost to death that they would love to talk to? I would love to tell my dad things I'm sorry for. I would love to tell my mom what a great mom she was. I would love to ask a couple questions about things. I would like to just know they're doing okay. I would be okay with removing the curtain between the living and the dead, but God has forbidden this. Seance, that might sound like a good idea when I'm feeling that way, but God has forgiven this. He doesn't want us to consult the dead. He wants us to consult him. He says, why would you consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult me instead. By the way, just as an aside, If you go to a medium or if you attend a seance, you're probably hearing from someone other than your loved one. You're probably hearing from unclean spirits. You don't want to hear from demons. This desire to pull back the curtain between life and death is really related to a deeper issue than a seance. It's still related to the issue of control, the idol of control. Let me give you a third example. The desire to control others. Some people want to put a spell on someone. When I, was, you know, when I was young and in love, I wanted to put a spell on that girl so she'd be in love with me, right? That'd be all right, yeah. Instead, I tricked Laurel into loving me. It's been working well, right? Yeah, I'll put a spell on them or I'll, I'll curse them and control them. And in all of these cases, control is always in play. It is a deep alt- idol. It is a deep idol. Now, I am not saying, and you got to hear this, I'm not saying that everyone who has control issues is in the occult, <laughs> I'm saying something that maybe is a little bit more shocking. I'm saying this, that the person who is into the occult because of their control issues isn't a lot different from you or me when we have control issues. Because the deep issue isn't spiritism. The deep issue isn't the medium. The deep issue isn't the occult. The deep issue is not the seance. The deep issue is not the witchcraft. The deep issue is that we are desiring to have control more than we are willing to surrender control to God. And that's the deep issue. And if we want to be free of that deep issue, then we're going to have to tear down the idol of control. So I want to give you some tools for doing that. Tools for dismantling the control idol. And the first one is R-E-S-P-E-C-T, respect. If you're going to stop controlling, you're going to have to begin to respect people. You're you're going to have to let them make decisions. 
You don't control someone you respect. In fact, every time you're trying to control a person, you're saying, you're dumb, I'm smart, let me control your life. You're foolish, I'm wise, let me make your decision. You might be careless and hurt me because you're discompassionate. I am very compassionate. Let me control your decisions so I don't get hurt. In all those instances, I am trying to control someone because I just don't respect them. I used to have this was a huge issue in my life. And I, I kind of Christianized it, you know? Well, really, all I want to do is help them be better men and women. That's all I want to do. Let me try to control them. Really, I just want to help them have a stronger commitment to their families. That's what I want to do. If I could just control them in that way. I just want them to follow Jesus more closely. Let me try to control them, to manipulate them, so that, so that I can pull that off. And somewhere along the way, I repented because I realized that was being disrespectful. I mean, if they want to do the wrong thing, I'll do everything I can to help them not do that, but I cannot control them. I just can't do that. It's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for me. And so I went to the cross. And I said, God... <laughs> I need to ask you to forgive me. I've been trying to control that which is not mine to control. And for the most part, I've stopped. I still try to control my wife regarding shopping lists so she gets Lay's potato chips. But beyond that, I'm in the clear, I think, right? So what are you trying to control? When are you trying to control? When you're trying to control your husband or your daughter or your teachers or your wife or your school or the workplace or the system, ask yourself, am I really respecting the people involved here. God did not give you the responsibility or the ability to control people and how they live. And when you try to do that, you're not behaving with respect. And we need to respect people. We need to respect just boundaries as well. God gave you the ability to control a lot of things, but I want to tell you there are a lot of other things he did not give you the ability to control. There are more things on this world that you cannot control than you can control. For example, he didn't give you the ability to control the weather. Yesterday is proof of that. It rained, right? I don't know anyone that was asking for rain yesterday. God says, you don't get to control the weather. I say, okay, I'll deal with it. God did not give you the ability to talk to the dead. He said, no, that's a a curtain I don't want you to open. Stay out of there. I want to talk to the dead. I don't allow you. Deal with it. Deal with it. See, the first tool for dismantling this idol of control is to respect people and to respect the boundaries that God has put in place. And that is a choice that you really need to make kind of at the cross because it's a deep, deep choice. Here's the second tool, communication. Often we want to control because we're afraid. And often we're afraid because we haven't taken the time to talk about something or to talk with someone. How do you get to trust someone? We get to know them. And how do you get to know someone? Well, you communicate with them. You know, Laurel and I have never felt the need to control the teachers that our children had. And, and there were some teachers that our children had that it was, it was we would have chosen other teachers. Say it that way, okay? And, 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 and yeah, we never felt the need to control them. And I think part of the reason was because Laurel especially, but me as well, got to know every teacher that our kid had from kindergarten, kids had from kindergarten all the way through grade 12. We talked to them and they knew us and we knew them. And when we communicated with them, as we prayerfully approached them, we didn't feel a need to control them. You know, that's one of the reasons they have parent-teacher conferences, right? It's helped you as a parent to be able to say, okay, I think maybe I can trust this teacher. And it's, it's so them as a teacher can say, okay, maybe I can trust that parent. And, and that communication makes that happen. It's something that helps you when you communicate with people, dismantle the idol of control. 
but we live in a world that doesn't want to communicate. In fact, as soon as something happens that you involve an attorney, the first piece of counsel he'll give you is don't contact them. Yeah, I always feel like that's kind of a mixed thing. Don't contact them, I'll contact them and you can pay me. That's how it feels to me, right? But the attorney also knows you may say some things that you'll regret saying and so he is protecting you. And the attorney also knows that maybe if you sit down and talk this out, it'll be resolved and I kind of want control here. This whole communication is something that helps you dismantle the idol of control in your own life. Let me give you a third tool. It's a tool of discernment. And wow, did that screen just light up, right? Lots of stuff on the screen here. <laughs> Let's talk about it. If you want to dismantle the idol of control, you have to discern what is it that God has given me to control and what is it that he has not given to me to control. And you'll have to discern that by the power of the Spirit living in you. Show me, God, what I should control and what isn't mine to control. Everybody's life has these circles, right? You have this inner circle. My wife teaches this so often, I think she might have wrote it, but then when we were talking about it, she said, no, we stole that from somebody else. Yeah. Again, we don't have any good ideas, we just know how to read. Right? Yeah. So you have these two circles on the screen here. That inner circle is your circle of influence. You have toddlers, you can influence what time they go to bed. You, you have um, a, a refrigerator, you can influence how many times you open it in a day, right? You, maybe, maybe not, right? There are certain things you have influence over, where you're going to eat supper, what you're going to have, what time you're going to bed. Are you going to church today or aren't you going to church? You have influence over those things. There are other things in the outer circle that you're concerned about, but you don't have influence over them. I'm concerned about the economy. I'm concerned about what happened at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. I'm concerned about what my kids are doing today. But, you know, they're 31 and 29, and my influence is really going out fast on that. But I'm still concerned about those things. And a lot of times we don't, we don't exercise the ability to discern what is our responsibility and what is not our responsibility because all we think about is what we're concerned with, and we're concerned with all of that. So what, what you need to do is go to God. You need to say to him, God, this is something I'm really concerned about. Is it something I can influence? And he will tell you. When you go to God with questions like that, he doesn't say, well, if you don't know, I'm not gonna tell you. You might have friends that'll do that, eighth graders, but God will never do that. And so you go to him, you say, God, show me what I can do and what I can't do. And when you discover what you can do, act upon it. And when you discover what is not yours to control, then have the discernment to say, I will give this to you, God, and use the next tool, the tool of prayer, to manage those things that you're concerned about but are outside of your circle of influence. Prayer. It is a great tool to dismantle the deep idol of control. In fact, when you pray, you give things you cannot control to God and you trust him to take care of them. And in that respect, prayer is a gift. And you can use it to dismantle this deep idol of control. Now, all of these tools are powered by the fifth tool I'm going to give you. It's a tool of faith, trusting God. You know, in, in a garage, you might have like, I got an air chisel, I got an air socket thing, I got an air whatever hammer, I got all these air tools. And I would say, all those tools are great, but unless you have this one tool sitting in the corner called an air compressor, none of those tools are gonna work. And, and I would say to you that faith, trusting God, is a tool that is essential to making respect communication, discernment, even prayer will not work if you will not trust God. That is the tool that underlies all the others. And so there comes a time when Christian parents realize they can't control their child. They have to trust God. And it is trust, listen to this, it is trust that pleasantly releases that parent 
from the deep idol of control. It is pleasant for the child. It is pleasant for the parent. There comes a time when every wife realizes she can't control her husband and she has to trust God. And it is trust that pleasantly releases that wife from the deep idol of control. And it's pleasant for the husband and pleasant for the wife. Unless you think I'm being sexist, there comes a time when every husband realizes he cannot control his wife and he has to trust. And it is trust that releases, pleasantly releases him from the deep idol of control and it is pleasant for his wife, it is pleasant for him. You see, this issue of control underlies humankind's interest in the occult. It it all comes from this lack of trust that we are prone to. And when people don't trust God, they're going to turn somewhere else. When you choose not to trust God and you turn somewhere else, you are turning from light, because he is light, toward darkness. So there are a couple of important applications. The first one's kind of obvious, and it's really personal. You have to choose to trust if you're going to be free from this deep idol of control. And when you find yourself trying to control something that God has not assigned for you to control, you're going to have to give it to him. And you'll probably have to give it to him over and over and over and over. You're going to have to trust him. And you're probably going to have to trust him over and over and over and over. And you're going to have to leave it with him. And you're probably going to have to leave it with him over and over and over and over. You're going to have to keep trusting him. In a minute, I'm going to pray that you can do that, but I want to tell you about the second application first. The second application is this. Cast your mind back to things you've heard about how Christians have historically responded to people who are engaged in spiritual darkness. Let's go back to some witch trials. How did that work out? Not very well, right? It was terrible. Or think about something much more benign, but something very destructive. An individual that I once knew 30 years ago, who whenever she saw a palm reader in a mall, went up and told them, you're going to fry in hell, lady. You shouldn't be doing that. How effective is that, right? How effective is that? What if... When you came upon someone who was dabbling in the occult, you just spoke to them about what interested them in that. And as you were speaking to them, you discovered some things they were trying to control. And if you could connect with them and speak to them about your own struggle with the deep idol of control and how you manage that for yourself through prayer, how would that come across to them? How would it come across to them if you were incredibly honest and said, when something happens like that in my life that I can't control, I just take it to Jesus and I say, Jesus, please, please, we take care of this. And then if you went on to acknowledge that sometimes Jesus says no, and I'm like, what the heck? I really need you to say yes, Jesus. And he's like, no, not going to change the weather. Not going to let that wheat grow. Not going to turn your kid around right now. I'm not going to fix this financial problem right now. What if as you spoke to them about God saying no in your life, you said, and I realized I had to surrender control to him because he is the God, the maker of heaven and earth. What if you stopped addressing the dandelion yellow tops, the occult practice, and you sought to move down 
to the root issue of control. I think that's what Jesus would have done. I think he did that all the time. I told you a moment ago, I'm going to pray, with, pray for you regarding if there are things in your life that draw you to the deep idol of control, that you'll be able to let go of them. The dark arts, they're nothing to play with. But the reason they're bad is because they spring from the deep idol of control, which all of us, all of us occasionally worship at. And I just want to pray that you would be able to dismantle that in your own life and find freedom from that. So if you're comfortable doing so, would you stand and I'll lead you in prayer. And as we pray in the silence of your heart, if this connects with you, then speak to God about what's going on in your life. Father in heaven, as we unite our hearts together, we do so recognizing that, um, that occasionally, maybe even frequently, we violate the very first couple commandments. We're sorry for that. We do not want to make idols of anything. We do not want to find ourselves in bondage to this deep idol of control. And so we would turn away from it. We would ask you to help us to turn away from it. We would ask you to help us dismantle it in our own life. We actually bring this to the cross because it's at the cross that we see the light. It's at the cross that we experience the transforming power of Christ. And so those things we can control and should control, we accept that responsibility. And those things that we are not to control, we release them and give them to you. And we trust you to care for these matters. And even those things that we pray for, if you say no, we relinquish that control and we, we just, we would lean into you, God, and ask you to help us deal with that disappointment, heartache, frustration. But no matter what, do not let us come back and try to control those things. For we do not want to worship at the deep idol of control. We want to worship you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.